amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including One Generation Away. The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty. Keep alive this experiment in liberty. Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is the soul's right to breathe. Government should be very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty. The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty once lost, it's lost forever. Fight for their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great republic born alone in liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty? This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. A production of LibertyNation.com. Cutting through the double talk, taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. After 40 years of threats, provocations, and attacks, Trump finally drops the hammer on the Islamic Republic of Iran. Welcome back into Liberty Nation Radio, a production, as always, of LibertyNation.com and heard from coast to coast on the Radio America Network. Trump has struck. Iran has responded. So where do we go from here? We'll discuss the execution of Qassam Soleimani, Trump's justification for it, reaction to it in the political and media class, and a hopeful endgame a golden opportunity for Trump to fulfill his promise to end America's endless military presence in the Middle East. Plus, LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor Scott Cosenza analyzes the Democrats' attempt to limit Trump's war powers. And with word that Chelsea Clinton has joined Hunter Biden as children of privilege, profiting big time for doing nothing, our own Heartland correspondent Sarah Cowgill discusses the D.C. cult of nepotism. Say what? Say what? Say what? One more time. We commence the proceedings with our signature segment, Say What?, where we roll out a virtual assembly line of wacky, astonishing, damnable, and ultimately revealing things uttered by politicians and the chattering class. Well, it was bound to happen now, wasn't it? For 40 years... The Islamic Republic of Iran has been taunting us, starting with the seizure of 52 hostages in 1979, and shouting literally and figuratively, death to America, even after they were supposedly assuaged with billions in cash from President Obama in the Iran nuclear deal, which was later deep-sixed by Trump. And when terrorists commanded by the highest-ranking Iranian military officer Qassam Soleimani attacked the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, Iraq, a couple of weeks ago, enough was finally enough. Trump launched a precision drone strike, vaporizing Soleimani and four of his terrorist cohorts in a stunning display of American military might. 
couple days later, Iran retaliated by launching missiles at a military base in Iraq where some American troops were stationed, but they got an early warning and no one was killed. Now, ironically, or paradoxically, this show of force has laid the groundwork for Trump to fulfill his pledge to withdraw from the Middle East. We'll explain and discuss in the next segment. But, Reaction was swift, broad, and mostly, but not entirely, predictable around D.C. In reacting to the president's nationally televised speech in which Trump explained the long march of death perpetrated by the mullahs of Iran, why he executed Soleimani, and his ultimate plan to draw the Iranians to the bargaining table, longtime Republican war hawk Lindsey Graham was resplendent in his praise for that speech. The president made a very bold decision today to allow things to calm down. This speech will be talked about long after his second term. This is on par with tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. This is resetting the relationship between the world and Iran, just not the United States. The president said there's an evil empire in Iran that's uh, bent on destroying the world uh, killing the people in Israel and coming after us, and I will no longer tolerate it. But not all Republicans were on board with the explanations offered by Trump officials on why the execution of Soleimani was carried out. After a briefing on it, Senator Mike Lee, usually a big supporter of the president, was incensed. Probably the worst briefing I've seen, at least on a military issue, in the nine years I've served in the United States Senate. One of the messages we received from the briefers was, do not debate, do not discuss the issue of the appropriateness of further military intervention against Iran. So there was some legitimate opposition within the GOP, not on the fact of the killing of Soleimani, but in how it was justified to Congress. But on the left, the reaction was universal condemnation of Trump. Of course there was. And just like when Nancy Pelosi ran to the cameras to announce the impeachment of Trump before she even saw the transcript of that call that led to impeachment and was embarrassed when Trump released it the next day, the Dems presidential frontrunner Joe Biden immediately went to the cameras and condemned the commander in chief, not even waiting for Trump to address the nation the next day. We have not heard a sober minded explanation to reassure the American, reassure the American people that this decision and its consequences uh, were thought through. No level-headed words meant to dial down the tensions and to uh, take us off the path of conflict. No press conference or consultation with our Congress. No, what we've heard so far from this president are tweets, threats, and tantrums. So, of course, the next day, the president announces that hostilities with Iran had ceased, at least for the time being. But if you thought it was bad enough that the leftists were attacking the president instead of the mass murderer he vanquished, hold your breath and listen to Chris Matthews on MSNBC and a reporter for the New York Times equate Soleimani to, well, just listen. When Princess Diana died, for example, there was a huge emotional outpouring. Uh, these kinds of Elvis Presley in our culture. It turns out that this general he killed was a beloved hero of the Iranian people to the point where look at the people. We've got pictures of now these enormous crowds coming out. 
There's no American emotion in this case, but there's a hell of a lot of emotion on the other side. What you're describing feels like the kind of unified national outpouring that is reserved for a small handful of figures in any country, right? I mean, a beloved president, a civil rights leader like Martin Luther King. A mass murderer compared by the leftist Trump deranged media to Princess Di, Elvis, and Martin Luther King. You wouldn't believe it if I hadn't played it for you, would you? Finally, as leftists are exposed far and wide for their nihilism and hypocrisy, Hollywood has continued to pour forth its usual array of filth and left-wing anti-American content. But finally, finally, someone in their own ranks has called them out for all to see. Actor Ricky Gervais, hosting the nationally televised Golden Globe Awards for the final time, ripped his Hollywood compatriots from end to end. Talking of all you perverts, it was a big year... It was a big year for paedophile movies. Many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So we were going to do an in-memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. It was mostly white people. Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Shut up. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. Well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. It's amazing the truths you're willing to speak when you just don't care. And we'll be back to discuss how our confrontation with Iran may well pave the way for a new day for the U.S. and the Middle East. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Where can you find honest political commentary with sobering analysis, accountability, deconstructing threats to our liberty, and boldly reporting the truth? Subscribe to LibertyNation.com YouTube channel, where facts matter. that all men are entitled to blessings of liberty. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Well, the aftermath of a frightening showdown with an aggressively hostile regional power would seem a strange time for the world's lone superpower to consider a withdrawal from the region in conflict. But paradoxically, the recent hostilities with Iran provide a teachable moment for Americans and, more importantly, an almost perfect storm of circumstances for President Trump to fulfill his fundamental campaign pledge to de-escalate and eventually end our seemingly endless military presence in the Middle East, while using America's unparalleled economic and military leverage 
to forge a long-sought peace deal. Now, Trump has created three severe pressure points on the Iranians. First, he has projected his own political will to pulverize enemies who attack Americans. Second, he's showcased military might that can wipe out the entire Iranian infrastructure in a matter of hours, and they know it. And third, he's employed U.S. economic leverage by ramping up an already damaging regime of economic sanctions. Now, in pulling off this trifecta, Trump has actually laid the groundwork for a pullback and eventual withdrawal from the Middle East. And he did exactly that in his speech to the nation Wednesday in three basic parts. First, describing the genuine evil of General Soleimani executed in a thunderous drone strike at an Iraqi airfield. Soleimani was personally responsible for some of the absolutely worst atrocities. He trained terrorist armies, including Hezbollah, launching terrorist strikes against civilian targets. He fueled bloody civil wars all across the region. He viciously wounded and murdered thousands of U.S. troops, including the planting of roadside bombs that maim and dismember their victims. In recent days, he was planning new attacks on American targets, but we stopped him. Soleimani's hands were drenched in both American and Iranian blood. He should have been terminated long ago. Trump then went on to describe how the Iranians had played Obama and the U.S. for fools with a nuclear deal that was trashed by Trump. Iran's hostilities substantially increased after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013. And they were given $150 billion, not to mention $1.8 billion in cash. Instead of saying thank you to the United States, they chanted death to America. In fact, they chanted death to America the day the agreement was signed. Then Iran went on a terror spree, funded by the money from the deal, and created hell in Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. But having now laid out the rationale for the execution of Soleimani and terminating the Iran nuclear deal, Trump voiced his ultimate objective, a new deal with Iran. Iran must abandon its nuclear ambitions and end its support for terrorism. The time has come for the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Russia, and China to recognize this reality. They must now break away from the remnants of the Iran deal, or JCPOA. And we must all work together toward making a deal with Iran that makes the world a safer and more peaceful place. So what makes the president believe Iran will come to the negotiating table after seeing its top military commander executed? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road. Trump says it's all about leverage in its many forms. We are now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. We are independent and we do not need 
Middle East oil. The fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it. American strength, both military and economic, is the best deterrent. Folks, that right there is the Trump foreign policy. Now, he's not yet declared that he'll remove all U.S. military forces from the Middle East now or in the foreseeable future. I mean, a nation, especially one with America's unique superpower stature, risks looking weak if it responds immediately to the provocations of its enemies by pulling up deeply embedded stakes and turning tail. But Americans should be asking a simple question with doubtless a complicated answer. Why are we still stationing troops in this region, which has defined the word tinderbox for our entire lifetimes? The historical reason has obviously been oil. But with the stunning revolution in natural gas exploration, fracking, and Trump's wholesale deregulation of the energy industry, we no longer require Middle Eastern oil, nor a military presence to assure its uninterrupted flow. Add to that Trump's massive buildup of U.S. military forces, and the president's essential message has been the same as what parents advise their kids about playground bullies. The U.S. will not start conflicts, but will swiftly finish them when provoked. The mullahs of Iran who've impoverished their citizens for the sake of rebuilding their ancient empire with terrorist proxies across the region are now well aware that their entire house of cards can be brought down in short order by a president who, unlike the last commander-in-chief, views Iran as a threat rather than a potential regional ally and will treat it accordingly. Preventing the spread of Iranian influence would require a permanent American military presence throughout the region. Is that something the American people will continue to tolerate? Is it not beyond time to let Iran, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Russia, China, and all the terrorist groups like Hezbollah fight it out for regional hegemony? After all, they, and no longer the U.S., are the stakeholders who continue to have designs and control of the region. Having now been assured that a hot war between America and Iran is all but off the table, let us not miss this golden opportunity presented by this moment in time, for it holds the potential to launch a new era for a region in perpetual chaos and for America's international standing. The world will be watching. Quick break, and then with Hunter Biden having made millions with no qualifications other than being Joe Biden's son, now comes word that Chelsea Clinton has done the same thing. We'll talk about the Washington cult of nepotism when we return. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Far more important than my political future and far more important than yours, the well-being of our country. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. It's not white privilege. 
its political privilege. Chelsea Clinton in Hunter Biden style cashes in big time. That's the title and subtitle of a piece on LibertyNation.com this week on one of the most distasteful elements of the swampocracy, the embedded self-enriching Washington establishment, nepotism, the widespread practice of lining the pockets of people with no qualifications simply because they're related to moneyed political interests. You heard this about Hunter Biden. And we'll be hearing a whole lot more now that we're in an election year, but it's hardly limited to the Bidens. Joining us to discuss her article is Liberty Nation's invaluable heartland correspondent, Sarah Cowgill. Welcome, Sarah. Well, it's so good to be here, Tim Donner. How are you? I'm doing very well. So let me start with a tough question for you. You mentioned Chelsea Clinton and Hunter Biden and Jenna Bush Hager and all these, uh, you know, scions of privilege. But what about uh, Ivanka and Donald Jr. and Eric Trump? Have they not profited off their father's presidency? Frankly, I, I kind of think that they may have lost money off of their father's presidency. Um, you know, you he made them millionaires 10 times over before he ever ran for office. So I don't think it really applies in this case. He, I mean, their real estate privilege, <laughs> but I don't think political priv privilege could be even remotely used in this case. Okay, so let's get to the heart of the matter, the heart of your article. Chelsea Clinton, in this instance, how much work is young Chelsea doing for the board position and stock position, which has lined her pockets to the tune of $9 million that you describe in your article? And how much work did Chelsea do for the 500 grand she was paid by NBC? Well, the uh, board position that she, she sits on is approximately, you know, seven meetings a year. She, she doesn't work. She sits. She doesn't work. She sits um, and is raking in hand over fist cash with these elements. I mean, the board she sits on oversees and has stock options and a bunch of different media platforms, and, and they're all raking in the dough. So is she. Um, when she, of course, graduated from college, she was signed on with NBC. And this is probably even worse. <laughs> taking a entry-level correspondence job that in New York City would have been about 100, 100 to 200,000 a year. And she was paid $600,000 a year. And she managed to complete 10 stories and interview the Geico Gecko. And, and even that was weird. So, you know, <laughs> if we could only oh, all have that job. Oh, that's too much. The Geico Gecko. Who knew? Geico Gecko, yeah. Now, I love not, it's quote. on YouTube if you want to look it up. <laughs> I, I love the quote from our political correspondent, Graham Noble. Chelsea Clinton, smart, funny, educated, fascinating, beautiful. She's none of those things, yet she occupies a special place in the heart of every American. I've, I've been waiting to use that line since he wrote it. <laughs> I love that line. And it's and it's true. I mean, I don't think she is the favorite of the conservative mindset, but you know, she's like JFK Jr. She's she's royalty in that respect. 
Well, maybe that $9 million that she's made by sitting, as you say, not working. Or just breathing. On the board, on the board of that corporation uh, will give her a launch for a, you know, a shot at a political seat. You've got to expect that eventually. But how about Jenna Bush Hager, daughter of George W. Bush. What does she make and what does she do for the money? I have seen her on TV a couple of times. No, she went from a, a teacher's aide in 2006 with an education degree uh, to landing as the today co-host on NBC for $4 million a year. That's the late morning today show, right? Not the not the morning time, but uh, not the prime morning time, but later in the morning. It's, like the a, second, it's the second segment. I think it comes on at nine. Right. Has she proven to be qualified for this position or is it just another uh, another sign of nepotism? Because, of course, the thing is, you can get a position like Jenna Bush or Chelsea Clinton through nepotism, but you can't necessarily keep it Has Jenna Bush. Hager seemed to have demonstrated the qualifications needed for a lofty position like that, which she took with a very modest college degree. Um, well, she giggles a lot. She, you know, can pull up tears when necessary, but she would, ne would have never been employed without that Bush name. No way. All right, so you're out in the heartland. As I've said, you're so vital to the operation of LibertyNation.com because you give us a perspective from the heartland that you really don't find anywhere else. So let me ask you that. How, how's it looking for Trump in the heartland, your neck of the woods where Trump secured his victory in 2016? How does he look for 2020? Is he threatened at all out there by Joe Biden or any of the other Democrats? There is there's absolutely no threat currently to Trump in in the heartland area. Not not a thing. I mean, at one time you wouldn't see all of the MAGA stuff popping up, but man, it's everywhere. Nobody cares. You walk into some inner cities, um, not Chicago. We can rule out Chicago. They don't really count. But you can go into East St. Louis and some other places and people are wearing MAGA hats and nobody's shooting them. So, you know, he's gaining strength in the heartland versus losing it. He may have lost a little bit at first, but I think his base is so much more sealed and cemented and improved. I, good luck. I don't know who they're going to get to to compete in the heartland. Now, has impeachment helped or hurt Trump in the heartland? Oh, it's helped. <laughs> because everybody sits around in the little cafes drinking their coffee because uh, this is a, you know, a, a seasonal, uh, mostly a seasonal business uh, based on farming. So, you know, when it's a little bit of off time, they sit around, they drink, they go to the bar, they have a cocktail or grab a bite. And they talk about how Trump is baiting the Democrats to expose their own dirty laundry. And and I can't disagree with them on that. It just it seems like every time he throws a baited hook out there, one of them jumps on it and then he just. He just plays with them. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure he should just be playing with them, but I I don't think anybody around here thinks he's doing the wrong thing. I think he's got more support now than he's ever had. 
On that note, we thank you, Sarah Cowgill, Heartland correspondent, national columnist for LibertyNation.com. Thank you, ma'am. Always good to be here, Tim. Appreciate it. Sarah Cowgill, Heartland columnist for LibertyNation.com. Read her stuff. You won't find anything else like it. Quick break, and then we're back with Talking Liberty and the ins and outs of the War Powers Act. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. And now we welcome you into the portion of Liberty Nation Radio, which we entitle Talking Liberty. It's when we welcome back our regular contributor, constitutional lawyer, and LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor, Scott Cosenza. Hello, Scott. Hello, Tim. Happy New Year. Yeah, I think we're still barely within the statute of limit- limitations for when you're permitted to say that. Although we got the Chinese New Year coming up, too, so it could be a... Uh, hey, listen, that's uh, that's going to be parts of all our future when we're forced to worship it uh, <laughs> as part of oh, our boy. Elect- boy, electronic service us- agreements with uh, <laughs> the various you data us, companies. You took us right down a different kind of bunny trail right there, but let's go right to the heart of the matter of what's going on in the House of Representatives, where articles of impeachment uh, have been approved but not been sent to the Senate for trial, at the same time we've got this showdown with Iran and the House voting to restrain Trump's Iran war powers. What's the story behind this, and what is the proper role for Congress as opposed to the president in a military showdown like this? Well, the Congress has the absolute power to declare war, as our Constitution uh, provides. And they do not, however, have the authority or power to change the way that the president and the Congress relate to one another when it comes to the exercise of military powers. And to me, that, Tim, is what the War Powers Resolution uh, provides. It's an agreement between one particular Congress, and I don't have the number you know, of the Congress that passed that law. I think Jimmy Carter signed it into into law, if I'm not mistaken. So it was the Congress that passed it and Jimmy Carter agreed to this particular legislation. Why that binds the current Congress and Donald Trump, I don't understand. And I don't think anybody can explain it to me because I think that it is blatantly unconstitutional. The The power, the way that our, the branches of government, uh, the powers that they have and the rights they have to exercise those powers are sketched out in one place and one place only, the United States Constitution. And if society wishes to change those rules to accommodate him for a standing army, which we have now and we didn't have at the time of the founding, then the appropriate place to do that is the amendment process. It's not through uh, resolutions and acts that lack uh, binding power. Well, indeed, it's... Uh... It's been a wrangle between Congress and the president when they're of different parties, sometimes even of the same party, for as long as we can remember. But closer to home in Virginia, Scott, we've got what I fear is a a powder keg, which is gun rights activists facing off against gun control activists. You've got a legislature now controlled by the Democrats. It's getting more and more aggressive in dismissing a sanctuary, a city and county movement that's grown across the Commonwealth of Virginia. And this week they threw gasoline on the flames when the House, when the Virginia, uh, a member of the Virginia House, a delegate introduced 
a punish NRA bill. Tim, the entire purpose of the bill seems to make illegal the NRA's shooting range, which, by the way, uh, you know, full disclosure, we've both been to. It's a top rate facility, and it's just like to stick a thumb in their eye because he doesn't like them. Delegate Dan Helmer is the man's name. And his bill outlaws private gun ranges if more than 50 people work in the building. And so it's like, hmm, which which of the, the many ranges in Virginia could this apply to? Well, it, it looks like probably only one, and it's the NRA range. And why would this be a good bill? Well, it, it, it wouldn't. And like you say, it's a powder keg. I mean, the gun-owning uh, Virginians and Virginians who wish to, to, to retain their gun rights feel really under siege. And... Uh, uh, really put upon by this new, uh, the Democrats have won for the first time since 1994 a majority in the Virginia legislature, and they have stacked up these anti-gun bills to kind of change Virginia from a very permissive state, with, a relatively permissive state with respect to gun rights, to perhaps the most restrictive state in the country. And uh, the, the the turmoil it's causing is real. And then to add really again, what is a sour grapes kind of using the government to settle a private grudge sort of bill, uh, it, it doesn't bode well for uh, for our home. How do we prevent ourselves from being Hong Kong? One way is to never, ever, ever let the government take our guns away because that is our liberty's teeth. The ultimate protection, the leveler, the thing that creates an equivalence between a six foot nine, 300 pound attacker and a 150-pound feeble victim. The ballot box, the jury box, and then the cartridge box, Tim. <laughs> well, stated as only you can, Mr. Cosenza. Now, from guns we move to weed in Illinois after years of hoping and praying that at least the people who were in favor of it, that marijuana would be legalized, now find that the dispensaries in the fair state of Illinois ran out of weed during the first week of legal sales. They had 3.2 million, Tim, in the first day. Um, it's uh, The demand for legal marijuana is, you know, uh, unquenchable there. And they have a peculiar setup with their supply chain, that they are loosening now um, with kind of like separate supply chains for medical and non-medical or prescription and non-prescription. But uh, I just think it's emblematic of uh, where the public is. You know, uh, they've wanted, they've had such demand for so long, um, and now they get to finally express it without violating the law. There's another feature of the Illinois law, Tim, that I think is pretty fascinating for our purposes, which is that, um, it specifically says in the law that people who buy marijuana under the the new legal way that you can do so in Illinois, akin to treating uh, marijuana like alcohol, they will not run afoul of Illinois' firearms laws. And federal law currently says if you do use marijuana <clears throat> habitually or regularly, you are not permitted to purchase a new firearm. That's part of the federally licensed firearms like paperwork when you go to buy uh, a firearm from a dealer. So I think it was interesting that Illinois, which is not uh, known as a <laughs> like a bastion of firearms rights, it's generally hostile to firearms rights, even they have included some protections in their law, in their state marijuana law from uh, the federal government, because there is that great tension, Tim, 
from the federal law where marijuana is 100% illegal in all instances and the various state laws which uh, allow for different levels of uh, legality and criminality. I love the use of rhetoric in on this issue, the way that we often see it with these political hot potatoes. So we've gone from medical and recreational to prescription and non-prescription marijuana. And it's important to add, by the way, that Governor Pritzker, uh, a Democrat, issued 11,000 plus pardons for low-level marijuana offenses right before the uh, the law came into effect. So I think that's a uh, you know, to talk about a great, great day for liberty there. Uh, these are people who should never have been uh, molested by the state in the first place. Do you remember the Equal Rights Amendment, a remnant of the 1970s when feminists got together and tried to amend the U.S. Constitution to guarantee rights that are already guaranteed in the Constitution? But never mind that. Uh, why is this in the news again? It's in the news again, Tim, because Virginia Democrats, <laughs> the newly elected, we're going to be talking a lot about them. Uh, they uh, they say they want to uh, pass that uh, amendment and then try to see it ratified. And the problem is that that when the Congress, the United States Congress, voted to ratify the amendment and send it to the states, it gave a certain window of time uh when it would be considered accepted to come back as ratified. Originally, I would think that was 79, and then I think they extended it. Um, but in any case, both the, the deadlines have long been uh, expired. So this then will, unfortunately, yield again just some uh, massive fight in and up. You know, it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and they're going to rule on whether this becomes uh, an amendment or not, uh, very likely, if the Virginia Democrats choose to, you know, go forward with uh, with passing the amendment. Finally, Scott, CNN, the most trusted name in news, has settled its lawsuit with Covington Catholic student Nick Sandman. To be a fly on a wall, Tim, uh, I would have loved to have uh, been, been, been in there for the settlement negotiations. We don't know the terms of the settlement, uh, they could be rich for Mr. Sandman or poor for him, depending. Uh, it's a bit, you know, it's a black box, but uh, they did not, they didn't go ahead and fight it out. So CNN had filed a motion to dismiss. They had argued all along that their coverage was factual. Uh, but it's important to remember that, you know, litigation is expensive, even for a big company like CNN. And if they could make it go away for a little bit of money, we don't want to read too much into it. But at the same time, uh, many media outlets represented that Mr. Sandman was some kind of a racist ogre when, in fact, he was the victim survivor of uh, a lying uh, racist jerk uh, in, in the form of uh, Nathan Phillips. Indeed, a Native American, or as they call themselves, Indians. Thank, thank you, Scott. Thanks, Tim. This program, Liberty Nation Radio and LibertyNation.com's own podcasts, The Uprising, hosted by Scott and The Rabbit Hole Politics and Prose, where past is prologue, hosted by our own Mark Angelides. All of it available on demand at LibertyNation.com and from fine podcast providers everywhere. So that is it for this week, but we'll be back at you next week. Same time, same station. Till then, 
This is Tim Donner saying stand up for liberty. And we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation Radio. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.